welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. It's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, folks, you know, I talk about mental health on this podcast a lot. Uh, with my own struggles, uh, a lot of times I'll talk to guests about their struggles. And uh, that being said, I uh, want to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether that's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. As a bonus, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Macalino. That's BetterHelp.com slash M-A-C-O-L-I-N-O. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the episode. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for sharing my podcast with a friend of yours because uh, that's how we grow, folks. Well, that and Drunk Jeff Eats also helps me grow, uh, not, in, not in a good way. Um, hey, big news um, this week is that the uh, Women Want Everything premiere has been uh, announced. It'll be May 27th. If you live in St. Petersburg, Florida, there will be tickets available. They will sell out, and they will sell out fast. There is going to be a matinee show and a 7 o'clock show. It's going to be a red carpet, so I just hope I don't trip and fall. Uh, maybe I'll try to drop 20, 30 pounds. Uh, I got I got over two months. That's way doable for someone my size. Um, so exciting for that. Um, I'll let you know where you can find it, uh, presumably after that date, obviously. Uh, assuming you're not local and you cannot make the premiere. Uh, but a cool moment that will be. Um, yeah. So check out the Facebook page. That's where all the info on the uh, on the premiere are. And uh, the new movie poster. I don't know if I talked about that with my stupid face on it. Um, or another version. I mean, movies have multiple movie posters. Let's, let's be clear. Uh, so one with my stupid face on it. And I don't say stupid face making fun of myself. It's, it's a stupid face. So that's, you know, it's kind of the point. Anywho, my stupid face in this episode talks with a very funny, not stupid guy. Actually, he's a very bright guy. Not only is he a comedy writer, a comedian, 
Uh, he, he's the author of uh, Amazon's current number one joke book, Ha Ha History. You may know him from the Howard Stern Show, Mad Magazine. He's written for Comedy Central, Roasts, including the one of uh, William Shatner and Flava Flav. It is uh, a very smart man. Neil Berliner. Berliner. Jesus. Got to write in the show. Uh, Neil Berliner. I don't know why it was. Uh, well, anyways. Um, I may have had a drink or two prior to recording this intro. Um, this was in a, in an interesting stretch of time for me where I was, I was trying to, uh, keep a record of my working hours and it ended up that, uh, you know, between recording podcasts, editing, editing, audio, editing, video, writing, uh, I got a great new project idea I'm working on. I know I don't finish anything, but I start a lot. I'm going to finish this one for sure. Um, and I, I, I measured uh, a 44 hour period and I worked 38 hours in those 44 hours and the other six I slept. Um, and I guess to extend it to 48, I think I either slept, watched TV or uh, maybe a combination of both if you want to extend it. So there's a lot of hours going in, in this, uh, Macalino factory here, man. Um, all right. I'm going to just let you go to the episode now because, uh, I feel like being generous. So here's me and Neil Berliner. All right, everybody. I am very happy to welcome Neil Berliner to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you, Neil? Good. How are you doing, Jeff? Good, good. I I said before we went on everything's everything's slippery. I just threw a pen across my room because I couldn't grip. <laughs> so as long as I don't drop this, I'll be happy. If I drop this, we're going to have to pause the show. <laughs> uh, for the listeners, since this is an audio podcast, this is a glass of whiskey, of course. If I I probably didn't have to explain that. Uh, uh, Neil, uh, I'm excited to talk to you. You've had a long and uh, illustrious career in comedy in, in really almost every perceivable, uh, conceivable avenue, I feel like. You, you've you worked on The Howard Stern Show. Uh, you wrote for Mad Magazine and Comedy Central and, and everything. Um, when, when, when did you get started? If you could walk me through, I guess, just the beginning, how you how you ended up getting your foot in the door and, and decided this is what you wanted to do. Yeah, well, about 20 years ago, I guess, uh, a friend of mine told me that some old woman was performing rap in New York City in Manhattan, and uh, I should go see her and possibly think of approaching her maybe to write for her. And so I did. And I went into Greenwich Village and uh, I met this woman. She went by the name of Fruity Nutcake Rapping Granny. And an old white woman doing, uh, you know, dancing around, doing rhymes. And I approached her at the end of the act. I said, I liked her act and asked her if she wanted me to add basically sex, drugs, and rock and roll to her act. And she said, yeah. And uh, I set up a website for her back then and an answering machine that, that was in the days of phone answering machines and put it in my office. And about six months later, Casey Armstrong, who was a producer at the Howard Stern show, called and said they wanted her on the show. So I was pretty happy about that. And uh, 
she went on the show. It was actually May 5th. It was 1999, May 5th, 1999. And she was on with Snoop Dogg that day. <laughs> so they did some stuff together and it went from there. And uh, she did about, I'd say 10, 15 episodes, 10, 15 appearances on the Stern show. And that was my foot in the door, as you mentioned, so to speak. And I got to know everybody on the show and I got to know Jackie and Artie and everybody. And Already took a liking to me and my material, and uh, I went on to do uh, to write for four roasts on the Stern Show. I don't know if you're a Stern fan, but I wrote for the Ronnie the Limo Driver roast, the Gary Delabate roast, and the uh, Andy Dick roast, and the Artie Lang roast. And then from there, I went on to Comedy Central, wrote for the William Shatner roast and the Flavor Flav roast. And then, you know, one door opens another. So I went on to write for the Friars Club. And uh, then I was teaching joke writing in New York City at a theater called The Pit, the People's Improv Theater. And one of my students uh, was writing for Mad Magazine and they needed new blood at Mad. So he invited me to write for Mad. And that's how I got started there. So, you know, the big break obviously was the biggest radio show in the world. Yeah. <laughs> So just being in there in any small capacity can help a person's career and it helped me. So uh, here we are. Yeah, and now, I don't know, recently, I don't know if you know about this, but I co-wrote a book, a joke book with some friends of mine. One of them is from the Stern Show, actually, Mike Morse. Uh, he wrote the song Ralphie Cakes and he's done a lot of stuff with the Stern Show and the Tonight Show, also Mad Magazine. We were at Mad at the same time. And uh, we wrote this joke called Ha Ha History, which is a joke for every day of the year from January 1st to December 31st. And it's an historical joke. So we went back to the beginning of recorded history, found some kind of historical event, and then wrote like a modern day joke about that event. And the events were like in all categories, like politics and, you know, wars and stuff like that. And um entertainment and science and celebrities and basically monologue category jokes and so we, we went back into history and wrote monologue category jokes about these things and uh got out to amazon on january 29th i believe and i just happened to be eating lunch at some restaurant and went on to amazon just to see if it was on there and it turns out it was the number one new joke book on amazon so Nice. Congratulations. We couldn't, we, couldn't, we couldn't believe it. Yeah, we couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, you work on a project. We worked on this project with four of us for almost a year. You know, we would divide the year into three months each. And we wrote, we wrote multiple jokes for the uh, for each date. And then I edited the book and chose what I thought was probably the best joke for the date. And uh, turned out to be uh, pretty successful. People liked the book. Yeah, I, I saw it actually, in, and uh, I I couldn't decide whether I wanted to get the uh, Kindle version of it or uh, order. I Can you get the uh, physical copy of it as well on Amazon? Yeah, that's, coming out, that's coming out in mid-March, actually. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I might wait till then, because I'm like, oh, I, I, la I love this idea of this book. And I'm like, but I hate looking at computer screens. <laughs> yeah, we all have too much screen time anyway, right? <laughs> well, it's... it's uh, it's actually interesting, and you're a good person to bring this up to. I feel because you're you're a comedy writer, and uh, I was complaining, you know, in my older 
my older days, a lot of times, really, COVID started it where instead of going out with friends, you know, a lot of my friends, mid-30s, would just go to somebody's house. So it's just, you know, six of us just hanging around the house drinking. Save money. You're not spending $100 for, you know, what would cost you $30 at home. Um, But I said, I'm like, look, I'm doing all these shows virtually. I'm hanging out with the same people. I haven't been able to get any material, comedy material, because I feel like I'm just in a in a cave where, where I'm not seeing anything new and different. I need to go out. I need to see the town. <laughs> uh, and sure enough, I'm, I'm sitting at a at a bar outside, and I just pull out my phone and just start typing away. Oh, this is a funny concept. This is great. This is a great joke. This is a great, you know. And it's like that's. I just need that in my life. Is <laughs> so. I, I I guess bringing that in. Um, Obviously, I, I just randomly find things outside of my house that I, I always want to observe and, and flesh out uh, and write into. I started leaning more towards like comedy sketches as opposed to specific stand-up jokes. Um, but how does it, I mean, for someone who's written millions of jokes probably, <laughs> or close to it, I would, I would imagine... Uh, do you have a special inspiration or is it just any time it hits you, you just got to jot it down and get back to it or? Well, you know, it depends. I mean, you can get an assignment and then you have to write jokes on X topic or about if you get a roast, you have to write about X people on the dais or the person being roasted. So it really depends on the um, situation, but yeah, I mean, you do need the outside stimulation, like being, like you said, at a bar or just being out in the world, you know. And I basically, all day long, I'm looking at everything and thinking about what could be funny about it, you know. That's basically what I do. I don't really do much but that when I'm outside. I'm just looking around, thinking like, oh, this, oh, look at this, look at this fire hydrant. Oh, that's funny for this reason or whatever, you know. But this yeah. woman and this dog is funny for whatever reason. So, I mean, you find stuff everywhere. Yeah, well, and I, I even now I'm like I, I start finding our our server yesterday was terribly incompetent at his job, uh, taking drink orders and and uh, I'm just like this is like a comedy sketch like or a movie scene like bartender. He was so bad there was a group of six of us and he came back to each of us individually and then read out loud everything you ordered item by item. And uh, my buddy sitting here is like, you had two rum runners, two spicy margaritas, two of this, two of that, two of this, two of this, one of these, and one of these. I'm like, ooh, it sounds really bad when he reads it out loud like that. <laughs> sounds like we have a problem. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you're supposed to just give me the bill quietly and I can say, ooh, that's a lot of money. I don't need to look at what I actually, <laughs> I don't want to know how much I drank. I just, right. just, just give me the, 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 the dollar total. Uh, goes, goes the same for food. You don't want to hear what you're eating. You a lot of calories if they read it back to you. Yeah. 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 Or or I was the one person at the table who also just only drank and didn't eat. <laughs> and that's so all, the, so all the drinks you talked about were just for you then, in other words. No, see, I just <laughs> stick I'm the only one who just sticks with one thing. I, I, I'm out I get a crown and ginger, so it's just like just count the number. Just I count see. Count them up for me, but yeah, my other friends they like to try different things. So, but yeah, when it's itemized out like that, it's like sounds like we have a problem as a group. <laughs> we probably do, but <laughs> that's a separate issue. <laughs> if you think you have a problem, you probably do. Yeah, yeah, but 
hey, while you have the problem, it's fun to, to ride through it. <laughs> enjoy it while, <laughs> while, enjoy it until it blows up in your face, right? <laughs> well, if it brings out more comedy, then it's probably a good thing. And, well, and it's sad. I, I didn't drink for three weeks, and I have all these projects I'm working on writing, and almost got nothing done in those three weeks. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, that's probably not a good sign, but it's like the creative <laughs> juices. This is my creative juice right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remind me of something Richard Belzer said a very long time ago. They were talking about him doing cocaine. And he said, look, I do cocaine and I keep talking and talking and talking. And eventually some funny stuff is going to come out. So, yeah. Yeah. He saw some value in it in that way, you know. Well, I always get so angry at myself if I do an edible or something because I'm like, I need to just put my phone on and record my everything that comes out of my stupid mouth because I won't remember it tomorrow. And it's, it's going to be great or awful, but there's got to be some nuggets in there that are great. <laughs> you know, just when you're thinking about the universe and you're high out of your mind and just, you know, there's got to be some good material in there, I, I, I like to think. <laughs> well, it depends on the person. <laughs> hey, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. Or it could be very problematic stuff, depending yeah. on the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the roasts that you do that I love watching roasts. Um, that's uh, the <laughs> I'm always curious. That's the one thing where it's like I don't know if I could do it because I feel like. You, you, you like to think everyone up there is having a good time, but there's going to be that one person who really gets pissed off and offended when you're when you're throwing jabs at them. Um, have you had, I mean, luckily, I mean, you mostly write the jokes, don't tell the jokes, so I don't know if you avoid getting a, getting a, an angry feedback because of the, the, the level of separation. Well, I've been on roast too as a roaster, you know, um, I've been on both ends of mostly writing, but usually the person who's going to be offended is a non-comedian, somebody who's not used to the, you know, being up there at a roast. I remember uh, I wrote for Artie Lang on the Stern Show for the Shatner Roast, the Comedy Central William Shatner Roast, and Jason Alexander from Seinfeld was the MC, and the line I wrote for him was, for Artie to say to Jason Alexander was, uh, Jason, my man, uh, you're a dedicated actor. You went from the show about nothing to actually doing nothing. <laughs> and this was after the Seinfeld, Seinfeld was off, you know, for years. And I don't think Jason Alexander, he, he wasn't expecting a line to be about him, you know. He was just, he was the MC. I don't think he, it, he sort of was taken aback by it a bit. Yeah, and, I, uh, didn't know everyone on the dais is, is a target, basically. Yeah, and actually, even off the dais, at that roast, Artie did a line. A lot of people, at that Shatner roast, there were a lot of famous people there mm -hmm. and a lot of science fiction people. And uh, Carrie Fisher was there. Um, so I got to meet I got to meet Captain Kirk and Princess Leah the same day. <laughs> but anyway, so Artie got up there and he said, uh, you know, what do you say when you meet a fat, over-the-hill science fiction icon? You say hello, Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Every you know everybody expected him to you know be talking about Shatner and Carrie Fisher was in the first row of the audience and they put the camera down on her and so she definitely wasn't expecting to get you know that she wasn't expecting to be the butt of a joke at the Shatner roast. 
She now, was. Uh, yeah, if people, as long as people can enjoy it, I do feel like that's, I, I don't know, that's, I, I feel like it's the most accessible almost. Like, that's something that my parents watch. Like, my parents aren't going to watch Artie Lang's stand-up. Uh, my dad might. Right. I love Artie Lang's stand-up. Like, I, I still go on Spotify and listen to his old stand-up stuff and mm -hmm. think it's it's great. Um, I don't, my mother definitely would not enjoy it. <laughs> um, right. but, but the William Shatner roast, everyone watches it. So I, it's a, it's yeah. interesting how, how kind of the insult, the roast comedy, uh, I don't know. It, it just feels to me, maybe it's just a personal, you know, people I surround myself with. It seems like the roast is like the most accessible comedy for people to, to digest, People who aren't hard. Well, yeah, I mean, for a couple of reasons. Well, for a couple of reasons, I think um, most of the people they choose to roast are likable people. You know, like Shatner's likable. They make people make fun of him for his acting ability, but he's not a bad guy. You know, he's he's a likable person right. in general. So they, you know, Flavor Flav and uh, Larry the Cable Guy, and just various people that we love and hate, but we love more than we hate. I guess you could put it. And also, people at home are used to insulting people in their, you know, going back and forth with family members, you know, ranking each other out and having little competitions, you know. So they're used to that banter, that kind of banter. So when they see it with famous people, they're kind of used to seeing that, like in their own lives a bit. You know, like when you make fun of your friends and stuff like that, so. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, you know, roasts are just a natural outgrowth of uh, you know everybody you know bashing on their friends, essentially friends and family, essentially. Like yeah, at it, a, like at a family dinner or something like that, yeah. or in a bar or whatever. Yeah, it it makes the celebrities seem like normal people. Like, oh, well, right. it sounds like these yeah. guy these guys I hang out with. <laughs> right, right. It's um. Have you? But have you ever? Uh, has anyone ever come at you for something you wrote or said at a roast or? Is well, not, generally... I can't remember necessarily if it was a roast, but, you know, I write jokes all the time and, you know, you know how it is. To, everyone gets, someone's going to get upset at mm -hmm. anything you say these days. You yeah. know, I, I mean, I've had people I thought were friends of mine. Like, I'll give you an example, because the person is not, hopefully won't listen to this particular podcast. I'm, I don't think she will. So anyway, here's the thing. Um, the night of the Super Bowl, there were a lot of commercial the comedians in them. So on Facebook, I said, wow, so many commercials with famous comedians and also one with Amy Schumer. You know, so I <laughs> sort of like, her. and like, and a friend of mine who's been friends with me for 20 years, she writes on my Facebook page a comment. She says, Oh, are you annoyed that you're not writing for the Super Bowl commercials or that you're not in one of the Super Bowl commercials? So this woman, she's out in L.A., so maybe she bumped into Amy Schumer in L.A. and thought she was nice or something. But I mean, so my point is that whatever you write can upset somebody, is going to upset somebody. So you might as well just write whatever you want and let the chips fall where they may, you know? Yeah, I, I'd argue nowadays if you don't upset somebody... It's probably you know, not right. very funny. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, that, you that's, the, that's, that's the litmus acid test, the Kool-Aid acid test, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it, You know, you want to thread the needle where it's just offending the right percentage of people. <laughs> right. You, you want to go for a high percentage of, you know, people thinking that it's funny. Yeah. Uh, and my... you, can't, 
You know, I had Jackie, the joke man, you know, Martling on my podcast a while ago, and we were talking about not being able to know who's in the audience. You can't predict. I mean, even he said, even between like husband and wife, you can't predict politics, religious affiliation, um, job, uh, income, you know, all kinds of factors, all kinds of socioeconomic factors about people. And you just have to tell your jokes. And that's that. And also at an intelligence level, you don't know what how intelligent yeah. people are. So, you know, you, I think you just have to go for the high end. Do do what you think is funny. And if you're funny enough, you get a career out of it. You know, enough people will like it. I mean, I've been at I've been at shows where Jerry Seinfeld's been on stage and I'll look around the audience and a few people who are just like not you know, not laughing for whatever reason. So yeah. you're, not, you're only going to get a hundred percent of an audience to laugh at anything. So why even worry about it? Yeah, that's the that's the uh, the, the thing that yeah, I, I that's I think I've I've bought uh, finally figured that out a little bit because I'll make some jokes that are definitely jokes for people who have had my life basically, like uh, you know, even a joke that references like uh, you know the Kinsey scale or something. 60% of the audience will know what, what it is. The other 40 won't. Or I, I made a joke. Um, actually, I made this joke with my friends, and I, I tested it out for the first time, and I said something about the book of Ecclesiastes or something. It was a, a, a Bible reference. Right. I know 50% of the people maybe will actually know what I'm referencing, but I, I, I want those 50% of people to enjoy what I'm saying. And right. if you don't get it, you, you know... Just let it go and move move on to the next one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's why in any late night monologue, you hear jokes about 12 different topics, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. Event, you're hopefully, you're eventually going to reach just about everybody with one of those jokes, but you can't get them on, on every one. Yeah. Well, that's it's interesting. The late night comedy, I'm like, you know what killed late night comedy for you probably know what I'm going to say, and it's probably a, a hacky thing to say, but Donald Trump killed late-night comedy because it just became, let's make let's all just make jokes about how stupid he is. And it's like, all right, I miss I miss Jay Leno. He'd make fun of George Bush and Bill Clinton and Al Gore and, you know, the Florida man and everything else. Like, just, yeah, we get it. We get it. He right. says and does right. stupid things. You know, right. <laughs> we can watch the news. We don't need to watch this on our, our late night monologue, every single joke. Um, yeah. And that that's honestly when I stopped. I, I was a guy who would like record five or six different late night shows every week. You know, if, I, if a guest was cool and I just loved the monologues and they just all went like, and, you know, I'm like, all right, I get it. But right. can we make jokes about something else? <laughs> There's other things going on. <laughs> Well, look, Trump did provide us with a lot of material, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. But even I look back on my Facebook memories every day. So you can look back at the jokes for that date previous years. And it's incredible. Like, even my feed was just <laughs> a very high percentage of Trump jokes. Yeah. And after a while, it's like, oh, my God, another one, another one, another one. So, yeah, in the moment, I don't, I don't know that it was... And look, I'm still guilty of it. I, I had someone do a Donald Trump impersonation just so I could make fun of him a month ago into <laughs> a failed podcast episode where I, you know, I, I didn't vote for you. And he just starts, you know, doing what Trump does. And, uh, 
Yeah, so I, I'm as guilty as everyone else too. It's it, it was it was low hanging fruit. You have to, you know, and it he's not going away either. Unfortunately, <laughs> seems like he's not. Yeah. <laughs> so well, even last Saturday night on Saturday Night Live, the opening monologue was the impersonation of Trump. That was the open again. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it it would be interesting if they say, hey, just. No Donald Trump jokes for a month. Don't say his name for a month. Well, it's funny you bring up an interesting topic because, like, comedians will say, "How can I do better?" You know, with joke writing or whatever. And I'll look at what they do, and a lot of what they do is eighty percent the same thing. So I'll say, "Well, why don't you go six months without writing a uh, joke on whatever topic they mm. do, do to death?" You know, just to take a rest from it already. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting. Whether it's Trump or anything else, whatever it may be, you know, because some people get locked into the same thing and they can't get off it. So yeah. I, I, people, you know, read different news sources. Just don't watch CNN or Fox. You know, pick up, you know, go to the BBC or you know, use different sources to get your information. You know? Yeah, di- diversify a little bit. You have to diversify. Yeah, it's it's interesting too. I wonder if. If everyone in in like the late night TV and SNL and and if everyone just said, "Hey, let's not say his name for a month," I feel like it would drive him insane that people aren't talking about. Him. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> I feel like it would actually be in the best interest of everyone to just be like, "Let's just pretend he doesn't exist." It will drive him crazy. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What he wants more than anything in life is his name being mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah that 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 would be an interesting. Silence is his Experiments. enemy. Experiments. <laughs> I, I, I need to need to get on the phone with Jimmy say, Kimmel and all that. I just that. say being ignored <laughs> is his enemy. Yeah. Yeah, that would. I, I do remember when uh, when he was running in uh, whatever year it was, sixteen, and Rand Paul was on TV. He's like, "Hey, you guys have given him billions of dollars of free advertising. Will you just stop talking about him and he'll go away?" No, they obviously didn't. <laughs> and I'm like, ah. That was a good point. That was a good point. <laughs> but here we are saying to not talk about Trump. We spent three or four minutes talking about it. I know. Isn't it? That's, <laughs> this is exactly, exactly the problem. <laughs> I am the problem. I, I fully, I fully admit it. Uh, <laughs> I, I was literally recording myself 10 minutes before we came on and I was saying, ah, I'm doing this other show and he wants to talk about this stuff and I hope it doesn't get political because I don't ever want to get into politics and here mm-hmm. i am <laughs> well you know when you write a book called ha ha history i guess politics can't be completely avoided when you're talking about it you know what i mean yeah the the good thing is for for me personally is i i'm libertarian so i hate all of them so right, right. so it's like i i can enjoy jokes i just don't want to be pigeonholed into one person just just yeah, give me yeah. diversity make fun of everybody <laughs> well there's plenty of stuff going on about biden plenty of impersonations and Oh yeah, I've, I have they, written a they failed can episode. Him to the hilt, that's for sure. I I do need a Joe Biden impersonator to record uh, uh, another failed episode with him. I've I've got, I'm, I, I like I like what I've written. It's very happy. Do, but... do you need Do you need a primo? I mean, top notch impersonator who can do everyone. Do you know somebody? Because I know of somebody on my team. He won the Dana Carvey TV show called First Impressions. And 
every day now for us on TikTok and YouTube. He's lighting it up for us. His name is Jason Scoop, S-C-O-O-P. You have to get a hold of this guy. He can impersonate, and I'm not kidding, any celebrity you mentioned. He is incredible. And just, I mean, this is the biggest favor I could do for you, tell you telling you about Jason Scoop. Oh, yeah. I, I've Check got his out. name written down. I, I'm so, I admire those guys so much who could do impressions because every time I'm like, I think I got something. I'll record it. I'm like, no, it sounds like me doing an impression. So that's how it is. It's like, it's, it sounds like me trying to sound like Donald Trump or sounds like me trying to sound like Obama, I think is actually my closest because he has uh -huh. more of my pitch. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm, it, it's, it's always me. And I'm like, ah, I suck at this. Well, I think to you, you sound like you though, to be fair to you, mm. you can detect that it's you cause it's you obviously, but actually every morning when the, he does it, when he does a new joke for us, for the book i play it for my wife without showing her his face to not get the you know the connection between the face and the voice and she's astounded at how good this guy is it's, it's unreal i'm so. i'm gonna be going on a, a deep dive right after we talk <laughs> looking at his stuff because <laughs> i i i i do i admire it i admire uh it's one thing i mean you know with the uh, a guy i'm talking to later tonight it is a magic magician comedian I, I I watch his stuff and he he is a comedian. He just happens to do magic tricks while he's telling comedy, basically. And I'm like, mm -hmm. ah, I admire the skill level to be funny and, and just do something that makes you different. You know, you're not the average, you're not the run of the mill guy. Uh, you do you give something else than just just jokes. Um, I know I know a few pretty well known guys like that who play at the Magic Castle in L.A. and. Uh, it's not so uncommon, actually. I mean, it's, it's uncommon, but it's uh, it's not unheard of. Yeah, Steve Martin, one of the first to uh, be a comedian magician to make it very big. Yeah, it, it's he started with the magic act when he was a teenager, and it, he's a great example of what what I love is I uh, to talk about me, of course. Uh, I love to talk about me, uh, but I you know just said I'm I'm committed to finding. Uh, I made it my life goal to just find a way to be in the comedy world. And the joy of that is seeing that that could be not just stand-up, not just writing, that could be acting, that could be a, a million things. Podcasting is even... A, a comedian's the one who told me to start a podcast. He said, because, you, you know, if you're going to try to write comedy, you should do stand-up and you should start a podcast because you just need to talk and sometimes you'll you'll find humor... In just what you're saying, um, he, you know, he said, you if you don't do those two things, don't even bother trying to write. Um, yeah. Well, uh, Artie told me Artie a long time ago said to me that you got to get up there sometimes just to know what it feels like to be up there. He said you can, you know, the writing's fine, but you have to know what it feels like when people respond to the writing, essentially, you know, by by doing the material yourself. So that I started doing that, you know. Yeah, I actually, I'll, I'll tell you this because I, I know you're a comedy coach. Uh, one of my thoughts is I, I've definitely shifted towards, I know what I like the most uh, and and what I like the least, 
But I, again, I'm one of those people who I'm like, I, I don't care whatever avenue opens. I just want to, you know, to me, making enough, making a living, doing something I enjoy doing, even if I enjoy it less than other things, is still great. Um, but one one idea I have is I've, I'm working on several things and I'm trying to write scenes and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go up there, just go to open mics, random open mics, tell the story that I want to write into the script. Take that five minutes, see what gets laughs, see what doesn't go, go do another open mic, change the things that didn't work, just make it the funniest possible on stage. And then I don't know if it's going to translate cinematically, but I I, want to test that out. I want to be like, here's the premise of the story. I'm going to tell it 10 times the same story, start to finish, but change, you know, change things to punch it up. Uh, Right, right. And I'm, instead of a writer's room, it's like, just let the audience tell me what's funny by laughing. Um, right. The only negative idea is with open mics, if you get a really a crowd full of comedians who aren't paying attention, you're not going to really get a lot of good feedback. Well, that's the vast majority of open mics, sorry to say, but that's how just how it is. That's yeah, why whenever yeah. I go to an open mic, I always respect the comedians. I don't look at my phone. I, mm-hmm. I just listen. I listen. I try to give the respect that I want when I'm up there, because if you don't give it, you know, you can't expect to get anybody to listen to you when you're up there, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I had the, um, I had the pleasure. The first time I did stand up was, uh, in front of nine people and six of them were family and friends of mine and, and comedians who weren't paying attention, but there were nine civilians. There were nine normal people in the, yeah. in the club. And, uh, the six that came with me are not comedy club people. So they're, you know. Well, that's how it is. I mean, whenever anybody starts with open mics and they bring their, you know, family and friends come once, twice maximum, and they're not comedy club people. They're doing it for you. Yeah. That's just how the game works. Oof, I bought, it was so bad. I bombed so badly. And then my, my second time, 50 people in the, I don't know what drew them in, 50 people in the audience. I, I have the set recorded. It is the worst it's not the. It's like a bunch of great premises and not a lot of good punchlines, but the audience was great. They just were. I I kill. I've never felt that way, uh, before or after the first time that I just had everyone laughing, and it was fifty people in like a a hundred person room, so it was it was pretty good, and uh, it was a great audience. It was not a. It was not a normal open. So that's the audience I want for the stories. Except for again, I go back and listen to that. I'm like. Oh. That's not good. <laughs> it's it's I I see what I was trying to do, but I really didn't do it. The audience really just bought my premises and just laughed based on that and and uh it's like, huh, uh, that's need need to work on that <laughs> if I, I want to do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh it, it's it is interesting because I, I guess even the thing I was saying of doing is you can't necessarily trust the audience um, because they can carry you and make you, you know, you can kill, but just because the audience was extra drunk or happy or there was a, I know in my set, there was a horny woman in the front row who was trying to, (laughs) I'm talking about being single. And from the first thing she starts responding sexually to me. And it's like, that helped fuel everything else too. Um, so yeah, the, the but that audience I guess would would carry something that maybe isn't very good, but just because the audience was perfect, they'll make me think it's good. 
<laughs> well, that's a rare situation. It's more likely yeah. that the audience is not going to go along if they don't like the material. The material has got to carry the audience, not the opposite, usually. You know what I'm saying? Usually, yes. Yeah, I would agree. And yeah. then there, there's a, yeah. But what you said about the uh, going wherever you're going to get it, like, you know, you're not, you know, wherever the break comes, that's how it is for everybody. You know, um, my friend Kevin Bartini, he's a, he's a warm-up comedian or was for um, the daily show with Colbert and with Jon Stewart and many over 20 shows. And he was uh, recently a regular on Mrs. Meisel, Marvelous Mrs. Meisel. And, um, Oh, I think I, I just lost my train of thought. Well, anyway, we'll get back to it. Um, <laughs> he got his foot in the door somehow. <laughs> he found oh, his uh, path. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's what it was. Yeah, he, he calls it a lattice. He calls it a lattice. Like, you know, you, you, you bob and weave and, you know, you do an end around over here and wherever the opportunity is. Like, he didn't know he was going to wind up on Mrs. Meisel. You know, he didn't know. One thing, but one thing sort of, every opportunity seems to bring more breaks. You right. know, if you just keep providing the material, you know, if you if you keep the quality of your material high, then people are going to keep. And the more the more venues you do, and the more things, the more kind of uh, you know visible things that you do, the more people will notice, and then you know you get more opportunities. So that's just how it works. One thing just leads to another. Hopefully, you know, it's not it's not like a it's not like a vertical ladder. Where right. if you do X, like in a traditional career, like I'm a medical doctor, okay? So when you become a medical doctor, you know, when you go to med school, you know you're going to be practicing medicine, right? If you don't flunk out, I guess. So, <laughs> you know, it's a natural progression. You know what's going to happen, basically. You don't may, you may not know what specialty you're going to go into, but you'll get a specialty and you'll do this, you do that, X, Y, Z. But with show business, nobody knows where they're really going to wind up. Or what they're going to do. I mean, even like, even like a big movie star like Brad Pitt, he doesn't know what movie he's going to be doing in three years. Whatever right. comes along is going to come along. You know what I mean? So, I mean, he might might even do a Netflix series. Who the hell knows? But that's how it is. It's just it's it's not a pre totally predictable uh, career to have, and you just got to go with the flow. Yeah, that's um, it, it's interesting, and I it, it's. <clears throat> you never know where you're going to be discovered is, is kind of the, the fun part with it. Cause I, I mentioned to you, I I'm co-hosting a daily show that, that I'm getting paid to do. Um, and, uh, he found me on a thing that I'm embarrassed to even, uh, hopefully he does the guy who does the show doesn't listen to it. I'm embarrassed to even be associated with it, but I'm like, I go, I show up, it's comedy sketch show. I act in it. I do the best I can with, you know, do the best I can. He found me on that, and he he found you know went through my website, contacted me, and say, hey, I I love your personality. I watched you know after I saw you on this, I watched your podcast. I watched you host other shows and do this, and you know I I need a co-host. So yeah. so you, you're you really you know I uh, I forget who told me this, but I I say it all the time to even my kids is just plant where uh, sprout where you're planted. It's, you know, what it, just do the best you can, no matter where you are. Yep. And uh, hopefully the right people notice. And, uh, and also, it's not just a matter of being discovered once. Like, I remember right. at one of the Stern Show appearances, Howard started rapping about me. 
he started doing a rap about me and rapping granny's voice. And I said to myself, oh my God, I've made it. So Howard Stern is rapping about me. Millions of people are hearing this. I'm, I'm discovered, okay? It's going to be easy from now on. But you know what? Nothing happened after that. You're, you know, my friends called, some people called, oh, wow, we heard Stern talking about you. But then nothing for a year or two until I got something else. Yeah. Know? So it, you have to keep on working at it to keep, you know, in the field in a way. It's interesting because it's not... Uh, unless you're Brendan Fraser, you can't just disappear and come back. It's it is well, like but you he's have a perfect, to just keep grinding. <laughs> yeah, but he's a perfect example of what I just said. I mean, yeah, that's he true. Was a big star, right? And then nothing for years, yeah. and then boom, here he is. You know, best actor, right? So it's a very very funny business. That's all there's to it. Yeah, and, and you, it's, can't, uh, you can't count on anything from the business. You just have to do it because you like doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I always tell people who have questioned, you know, you, you, you left a good career, you were successful, you made a good amount of money. Now you're making a lot less money and you're working. Like I, I'll, I'll tell them. And that's part of the reason I had my phone out recording earlier is I'm, I'm documenting a, a work week and I'm like, I work two to three times more lengthwise. Now it just so happens that my work is talking to interesting people i can enjoy a cocktail um you know i can i can listen to podcasts while i work you know i guess i listen to podcasts when i worked actually more <laughs> when i had an office job than i do now because i needed i wanted to be distracted now i actually need to focus on my work <laughs> um don't tell all my ex-employers that but uh yeah it's just because but i'm like look i i just want to make enough money to Put food on the table and pay my mortgage. That's it. I don't need to be rich. Don't need to be famous. But just make enough money. And and if I can go through every day of my life just enjoying what I'm doing, uh, that's that is satisfying enough to me. And I'm not going to live that long anyways. I'm not going to need to. Mm -hmm. ever. But I also say this. I've I've changed my philosophy on retirement, which is I don't. Why would I ever need to retire? If I if I love doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel. I'm a lot older than you. And I could retire if I could walk away and not work another day in my life. But then, first of all, I know people who have done that and are miserable. Yeah. And the other thing is, I have fun every day. Yeah. I mean, we'll do it. So, you know, you talk about rich people with good careers, right? And what do they want? They want to be able to have, you know, make a lot of money so they can have fun. Mm -hmm. Well, like you just said, you can make not so much money, but then you're having the fun anyway. That's the result of what rich people want in the first place. So you're getting that result just by, in other words, you're getting the fun. The money is not really essential to the fun for the kind of things we do. Right. You don't have to have a lot of money to be having fun if you're involved in comedy. You don't. I mean, 99% of comedians make very little money, but they're out there having a blast, you know? They go yeah. on the road, you know, you know, there were, I mean, there are comedy groupies, there are, there's road trips and there's fun and, you know, whatever they do on the road. But, so bottom line is they're having the fun that rich people want to have. They work, they work hard to make a lot of money so they can have fun. But people in show business, even if they're not rich and famous, are still having fun. Right. It's, it's a, uh, it's a, <laughs> it's a, a trick I, I don't know. I feel like it's it's a switch in my brain that just went on. It's like if I'm wasting 40 hours a week, 
at doing something that makes me miserable just so I can afford to buy things to make me happy. Why am I just not doing things that make me happy and figure out a way to pay my bills with that? <laughs> right. And the experiences ultimately make you more happy than the things. That you, mm -hmm. you know, they do. I, I've found anyway. I mean, I have nice things. I do. But I find that like writing this book with my friends, we have these Zoom meetings, right? Every every other week for a year. And it was just a blast, you know, for the whole Zoom meeting, just having fun. You know, yeah. doing jokes back and you know, punching up jokes back and forth at each other. What could be more fun than that? You can't buy you can't buy entertainment like that for any price, you know? No, I mean, no. I got, to, I got I got to hang out in Jonathan Winter's house for a full day one time. I produced his last um TV interview in his home. And it was just me and a couple of other people. He was doing a routine for us in his den with props for an hour. I felt like I was in heaven. I couldn't believe it. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't pay ten thousand dollars and buy a ticket for a performance like that. It was just a one of like once in a lifetime kind of thing, you know. So uh, yeah, I'll take the experiences over the over the material things. I really will. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 the same way, and uh, yeah, I I almost feel I feel like it's like a cheat code to life. <laughs> like, oop, I discovered. I discovered the secret. Now I can be happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of artists are like that. You know, a lot of artists, they, 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 in fact, they shun material things. You know, they just want to do their art. They're happy doing their art and they don't need, you know, Maseratis and stuff like that. It, you know, it's an interesting, I, I'll, I feel like it segues. I haven't brought this up to anyone. I just had this realization. Uh, where, <laughs> one thing that's very interesting to me is, I, I, I keep thinking like, you know, if I, if, if my acting career took off, I'd probably need to have a place in around LA or New York. Cause that's where most everything's shot. But I'd of course keep a home in St. Petersburg. Cause I, I want to live here my entire life and not, not pay income tax, uh, state income right. tax yeah. if, <laughs> if possible. Um, but, uh, and my family's all around here too, but uh taxes family yeah <laughs> but hey if it's good enough for tom brady it's good enough for us right right but i always think i'm like you know what would be weird having a house where you didn't have access to your stuff like i can't imagine like looking behind me i have like photo albums and stuff and it's like i just random little i've got a a, a jason tyner bobblehead which is a cool thing because this was never released to the public because he got sent down to the minor leagues and they canceled it. So they just threw them all away. But I, I rescued one. Um, and I'm like, it's a cool thing to be able to pull out. I can't imagine being in my house and not having my stuff. And then I'm like, maybe this stuff's not that important. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm overlooking rich people who have many houses never have their stuff and they don't care about it. It doesn't, right. I don't think it bothers them. Like, oh no, a photo album's in my Malibu beach house instead of in my home in St. Petersburg. Oh, darn. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think the more stuff you have, you know, the less important each each thing becomes in a way. Like if you have a few treasured possessions, let's say, that might be better than having all kinds of stuff. Like Jay Leno, you know, he has a big car collection and Tim... Uh, Tim Allen has a very big car collection, you know. How, but I have one really nice car, one really nice car. But I think I like my really nice car more than 
they like any one of their cars, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more special. It's, it is. It's, yeah. It makes it more special. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Jay Leno is, is something with his cars though. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, I was actually invited by him to go to the tonight show one time and he sat me next to, I sat next to these five guys. They were his in-house mechanics for his car, you know, his car collection. He has full-time guys. I think they were from the skill tool company, if I remember correctly. And uh, yeah, on staff, he has like four or five guys who are always just working for him. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to have passion to, to hire a staff to, to manage your hobby. <laughs> well, he, well, he has so many cars. He need he needs people. You know? Yeah. 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 I think, I think Adam, Adam Carolla is trying to vie in when Jay Leno dies to, to get into his will or something. He, <laughs> Yeah. He 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 keeps talking about him all the time, and Jay Leno seems to be trying to die lately. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, Jay's a great guy. Just since we've mentioned him, he's a very nice guy. Yeah, he he seems like it, it was funny. I was watching. Um, I, I'm forgetting the the name of the. Uh, I think it was on Showtime, the documentary about the Comedy Cellar, uh, and everybody was saying. Jay Leno was the funniest comedian they've ever seen. Like, yeah. hands down, he's he was the he was the best, and he still is doing stand up. I think, but oh, he does. Oh, he does stand up just about every weekend at Flappers in L.A. Flappers. And by the way, my friend produced the um, comedy cell of that whole TV show. His name is Ray Ellen E L L I N. That's he's great. The producer of that comedy uh, comedy uh, cellar TV show. Yeah, I I loved I loved that. I loved watching that. I I got I got my free sh uh, Showtime. Uh, you know, one month free, make sure you cancel at the end of the month. And that was the first <laughs> thing. I'm like, I just got to watch this. Every, you know, the last season of Shameless, if I have time, but I got to watch this thing first. <laughs> and mark the date on your phone when you got to cancel. Don't forget. Oh, God. I, I've had HBO Max for two years now. <laughs> I keep saying I'm going to cancel it, but they get you with those free trials. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, how, so, Teaching comedy. I wanted to ask you this because uh, I don't. I don't know the answer. Uh, is do you ever just have the case where you're like, maybe comedy's not for you, <laughs> or, well, or is there always is something in there? <laughs> well, look, comedy is not for everybody. Um, I can teach many, most people to write a joke now. Will it be the best joke? No. Um, there has to be some kind of baseline talent to start with to wind up being a stand-up comedian. In other words, you can't take somebody with absolutely no affinity or talent for it and train them to be a decent stand-up comic, in my opinion, okay? Unless they're just performers who are doing other people's stuff, they do none of their own stuff. So in other words, if you're a comedy like performer and everything's written for you, I, that's not even really being a stand-up these days, I guess. So, but the, but what I'm trying to say is that just about anybody can be taught um, certain tricks to take a concept and make a joke out of it. All right. So, I, and I've done that with hundreds of people, you know. But the people who I teach are already somewhat proficient or very proficient at writing jokes, and what they need, what you know, what they want, they come to me for more minutes. You know, they'll have 15 minutes, 
So there'll be opening and they want to be a middle or they want, you know, they want to become a headliner and they need 45 minutes, whatever. So I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at, uh, you know, adding tags and things and writing new bits for people. So either writing an act from the ground up or supplementing an act with more minutes and changing jokes around because a lot of people in the, you know, even very experienced people in the business, they forget that there are certain basics to joke writing. Like most, you know, many jokes have too many words in them, mm-hmm. un- unnecessary words. All right. The two biggest mistakes in joke writing are too many words in the joke and burying the punchline somewhere in the middle. And in my classes, I don't even call it a punchline. I call it a punch word because oh. it's basically going to be one word or maybe a two word phrase that is the funny part of the joke, you know? I mean, some people don't even know what's funny about their own jokes. Like yeah. Just, okay. They'll tell a joke and not get a reaction. And you ask them, well, what's funny about the joke? Well, you know, and they, they kind of can't give you the answer, you know? So you, ha- you have to be able to know what the funny word in your joke is, or else it's probably not worth telling. And when you find out what that word is, you, you really should put it into the joke. Because people people focus on the last thing you say. Like you said, like you were in a comedy club with the 50 people and they reacted well. What they're reacting to is the last word or two. That's when they expect the funny thing to be said. Right. That's how we've been trained as audience members. That the last thing that guy or girl is going to say is the funny thing. So if you bury the punchline and keep going with junk, that unnecessary stuff, like if the punch, if the punch, if the funny thing in the joke is colostomy bag, and you say colostomy bag that the sixty-year-old woman in the hospital in Cincinnati wore, I, I you know, okay, that it gets buried. Just so thinking about the woman. <laughs> no one's going to laugh at colostomy bag by the time you get to Cincinnati or hospital or whatever else I just said. Okay. So it, it's a very, it seems like a very basic thing to, to say, but comedians all the time screw this up and it's, it, it has to be corrected. You know? The the best thing I found from, from doing standup is, and, and I think this kind of goes to your point, is like the rhythm. I, I feel like it's almost like music. So like I, I did a wedding toast and the wedding planner's like, keep to three minutes, three minutes or less, please. And so I got someone in the audience, one of my friends, I'm like, hey, start a timer. And when I hit two minutes, put your hand up like this real quick. Uh, And I'll I'll nod just to like, that's my light. You know, I got one minute left. Um, But I had nothing prepared. I kind of, you know, didn't really prepare, which was probably not the best thing to do when you're, you know, you're giving a wedding toast. But I went up and I, I told, I killed in this audience because I knew they wanted to laugh, and it was it was like a music note, though. It was like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da! And that's that punch, <laughs> the punch word. And right. everyone knew from the rhythm of my voice, no matter what I was saying, that's when you're supposed to laugh. Right. And uh, that, that I feel like it's like, you, you know, you have a, if you have a good audience, it's really easy to, to, if you just keep in that rhythm, you know, you can make jokes. I made a joke about the groom, something only the groom and I would know about. It was a joke I said to make him laugh. I didn't care about the rest of the audience. He's the groom. And everyone laughed. And I'm like, I don't even know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but we're just going to keep going with it. You you seem to like it. Um, yeah, somebody came up to me like, it's the best wedding toast I ever saw. I'm, I'm like, it was pretty bad from a... <laughs> 
from someone who's done comedy a few times, it was pretty terrible, but I'll take it because I just uh, knew that how to trick how to trick the room into laughing when I wanted them to laugh, I think. And that was that was a realization I had then. You you, you got to get the rhythm and then you do have to end it with that punch. Um so that I I guess that was a good learning experience for yeah, me. Yeah. Um and yeah, the the uh, the other thing is uh I used to say this when I I managed employees and they had to give presentations all the time and I'm like just if you can say what you need to say in 15 words and you say it in 50 words you have failed miserably. If you could say it in 14, you, you've even raised the bar. Just the most concise you can be. The fluff is all bullshit. Just the, the least amount of words to get the point out is what I want from you when you are presenting in front of people. Yeah. Um, and I think comedy's pretty much the same, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's what, yeah, that's basically what I've been just saying. That yeah. You got to trim it to, you know, Keep, you have to keep people's attention and interest in sales or in comedy. And look, let's face it, comedy is sales. You're selling something to people. Yeah. Anytime you're talking to another person, you, you, you're basically in sales in some, to some extent. You're trying to sell your position on something, you know, whether it's a product or whether it's something that you think is funny or whatever. You know, you're, you're trying to get a person to agree with you about something, you know. So you have to keep it interesting and brief. I think I agree with you. I agree with you. I was I was just going to make a joke about visiting one of my sponsors, but they have a specific rule not to do that. So, ah. <laughs> so whew, good thing I caught myself. Uh, <laughs> is um, <coughs> excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm not even a smoker. <clears throat> huh? Um. I have a very weird question, but I, I actually don't want to ask this while I'm <laughs> recording. Now that I realize it, it's a very specific and odd question. Uh, I might as well ask it because you probably won't know, and I'll edit this part out. But uh, when you worked on the Howard Stern Show, was there a uh, uh, a very nice lady, uh, heavy set, who was a producer on that show, by chance? It doesn't ring, doesn't ring a bell. Okay. It's a very weird story, but I had a woman who was, I, I was, um, yeah, basically I was dragged into a, uh, my, you know, my buddy's date is coming from out of town and he needs somebody to hang out with a friend. And she kept bragging that she worked on the Howard Stern show. And I'm like, I don't know if she's telling the truth. And she's like, I've worked there for 10 years. I'm like, I, I believe you, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> but well, you know, worked at what does that mean? Was she a secretary? Was she in she, she claimed she was room? a producer, and that's what uh, I've asked a me, couple people from the show, and they've never thought like I don't. It doesn't ring a bell. It's <laughs> yeah, it doesn't ring a bell because when I think of producer on the Howard Stern show, I think of people I know like Gary Delabate and. Sal Governale and uh, Richard Christie, they're producers. They're writer slash producers. Benji Bronk. That, that's what a producer on the Howard Stern Show means. Somebody who writes content and writes bits, you know, and produces those bits. So, you know, this she, person you're talking about doesn't ring a bell to me. I think she was just trying to get my pants. <laughs> <laughs> it it worked, but we could... <laughs> We'll leave that out <laughs> yeah. but well it 
It wasn't because of the Howard Stern show. It was just, she had a good personality, but I always thought, I'm like, I think she's lying. But <laughs> that's such a weird lie to me. Like, <laughs> I, so once had a girl lie, I once had a girl lie to me and she said, told me, I mean, she told me that she was Norman Lear's granddaughter. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, I looked it up like later, like years later, I'm thinking like, that's something that's checkable, you know? Yeah, and I saw that. I think I saw later on that Norman Lear, you know, didn't have a granddaughter or something. I think like, how do you lie about something like that? Something, something people can look up. <laughs> it's it's just got to be obscure enough that it's like, well, why would someone lie about that? Like, right, <laughs> right. That's what I thought. It's so weird. Yeah, exactly. Why would she even lie? Why would she bring? Why would she lie about that? Exactly. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. Now, now I'm like, I need to think of some good lies to tell people. <laughs> <laughs> think of some obscure celebrity brendan fraser would have been great until his comeback <laughs> oh yeah right. i'm drinking buddies with brendan fraser yeah now nah, you can't do that <laughs> um i i and the, the last thing I, w I wanted to ask you before i uh i i want you to of course uh give all your your plugs but you 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 had mentioned you're a medical doctor as well um yeah. how is uh did you balance the two or uh just kind of give up on one <laughs> well obviously well, it would be being the doctor <laughs> i never really i mean i did them in parallel fashion i guess i guess i just did both you know i mean i became a doctor first i always knew that i was going to be involved in comedy some on some level even when i was very young i mean i wrote some jokes for rodney dangerfield when i was 14 brought them to his club and you know he didn't use any but I, I knew, I sort of knew when I was very young that I was going to be involved in humor or comedy or something like that. Um, I was sort of guided to be more academic, to become a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor. My parents wanted me to be a doctor. So, you know, it was sort of like expected of me on some level and I expected of myself to become a doctor. And then I figured, though, you know, I'll take care of the comedy stuff down the road once I become a doctor. And believe me, it, it has made it easier for me in a lot of ways to have, you know, the security of being a doctor to be able to do comedy stuff. Just like you said, you had another good career. So it sort of makes, it takes a little pressure off you to have a different career that was successful. So I never, you know, so I did them sort of in parallel, you know? Yeah. I never really had to give up one or the other. I'm still practicing medicine. I don't do it, you know, I do it out of my house. I do telemedicine, but, um, yeah, so I did. I was lucky enough to be able to have basically like two two careers. Yeah, that's that had two two uh, interesting uh, career. I, I wonder how many. I guess Ken Jong was a doctor or is a doctor. And I. Oh yeah, yeah. So I guess yeah. it. I guess it's. It's probably pretty rare though. <laughs> it's probably rare. It's, like, it's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. One night I was in a club in Brooklyn, a comedy. Well, it wasn't a comedy. It was like a theater, and. There were some comedians. I went into the green room, and my friend Eddie Brill was there. Eddie Brill was the warm-up uh, and comedy coordinator for Letterman. And Todd Barry, you may have heard of him. He was in the movie oh, The yeah. Wrestling. Very famous comedian, great guy. And I walked in, and he's and Todd Barry was saying, "But are there any?" Just as I walked in, he said, "But are there any doctor comedians who are also doctors, medical doctors?" And I walked and I walked down and go, "Yeah, me." <laughs> it was like unbelievable. 
So, but they, he had brought up the topic for whatever reason. But that's just <laughs> something that popped into my head when you mentioned this topic. It was it was meant to be. It, it was, was kind of weird. Be. Yeah, it's kind, kind of like kismet. You know, really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's too many. I mean, there are other doctors who do uh, comedy. I know of you know several, not several, but there are uh, you know here and there a handful of physicians, MDs who do comedy that I know about. Yeah. That's my my first stand up set was about a f- annual physical I got. So that's as sure close as I get. Days. I'm sure the prostate exam was included in that bit, right? No, no, I I left it out. It was, um, I, I, there, there's something I I always gripe about this is I make a lot of jokes in medical settings and the doctors never have a sense of humor about it. So the um, I went to a doctor, a female doctor who always would do a rectal exam. I was 28 years old and getting rectal exams every year, which is not medically necessary until you're older. And a, a male took over her practice, and I was like, I, I shook his hand, and I'm like, I, I can't take one of those digits. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sitting here sweating. And he's like, did, uh, your, did your prior doctor give you a rectal exam? Because we don't have to do that until you're 40 or 50 or whatever. And I'm like, what if I pay extra? He did not yeah. find it funny. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I was so glad that he wasn't going to do it, but... He did not laugh. I, my my daughter was having her appendix taken out, and I asked the doctor if I could get a little bit of her IV. No, they didn't find that funny. <laughs> I'm like, I could use a little morphine. It's been a long couple of days. <laughs> no, no, well, no sense of humor. <laughs> a while back, I went to a really arrogant doctor, and he he knew about my comedy somehow, and um, he said to me, "You know, in this office, I'm the one who makes the jokes." So I said, "Well, yeah, it's a good find. Then it's a good thing that you're confined to this office, then." <laughs> yeah that's that's i i guess i understand why they don't find it funny but yeah that's the the, the medical community seems to to really not like my snarky uh little little quips that i throw out <laughs> oh, but, well. but oh well it's not my audience maybe uh neil yeah. where where can uh my listeners find you i'll, I'll obviously link the uh the book uh in the show notes uh and i you have a podcast too don't you yeah i have a podcast my partners are Al Martin, who's the owner of the Broadway Comedy Club in Manhattan and the Greenwich Village Comedy Club. He's also a comedian. And Jason Scoop, who I told you about, who's like, he's the best impressions in the country. And he's a super comedian as well. So check him out on TikTok. Our podcast is called Stand Up Taller because I'm really short and Al's really tall. So we call it Stand Up Taller. And we give a comedy tip at the end of the uh at the end of the podcast, some kind of comedian tip for people at the end. And uh, we get good guests. We're going to have Tom Cotter soon. And we had Jackie the Joke Man and Eddie Brill and Vinny Favale produced. He was original. Uh, he, he was one of the founders of Comedy Central, big producer for Letterman. So we, we get very good guests. Gianmarco Ceresi, if you know of him, he's a great guy. So that's our podcast. And the book is called Ha Ha History on Amazon. And uh, finally, if you want me to do any comedy coaching for you, my website is neilberlinercomedy.com. Perfect. And I will link all... And you said this is all audio, huh? Yeah, I might, I, I might put... A, I try to put a clip on YouTube. Uh, I've, I've had some bad luck with my audio uh, lately, my microphone. I, uh, I think I finally fixed it, so this will probably be the first episode in about a month that will actually have a clip that I... <laughs> that i put on 
if if I'm not weeping uh, sadly that that woman you know gave me a handy under false pretenses, I <laughs> <laughs> can't believe she didn't work for the Howard Sturge. By the way, when I was when I was having drinks yesterday, I mentioned I was talking to to somebody who was on the Howard Stern show and my buddy who was there that night was like, you better ask him if that lady worked there. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's been like eight years and it's always been like a, I wonder, I need to try to verify whether that's true because it's such a weird well, thing. Well, maybe, maybe she was in one of the back rooms doing what you said she did to you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Maybe that's why I never saw her. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can just say her, you know, she may have been heavy set, but her hand wasn't fat so <laughs> Neil <laughs> on that note thank you so much for joining me I had I had a lot of fun okay thanks me too Jeff thanks a lot take care all right that's it that's all hope you had a ball under not false pretenses oh <laughs> uh, I don't know why I shared that story but it's a fun story that is too good to take out of the episode. Um, eh, whatever. Uh, hey, so so do me a favor. Uh, click on that link to uh, in the show notes uh, and uh, check out Neil Berliner's website. Uh, you can also get his book, Ha Ha History. Pick that up on Amazon. And uh, thanks to Neil for joining me. Uh, yeah, so follow me on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you follow me on TikTok, I promise I'll put more stuff up, but you know, uh, YouTube, I, I put up a clip, uh, just today or two days ago, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, uh, from an episode with me and Chris Devin that was shot late last year. Uh, one of my favorite moments on the podcast where I said he is a divorce away from being me. Uh, so good fun stuff. Good, good family friendly material. Uh, and of course there's drunk Jeff eats, uh, where I eat like a caveman. And, uh, also, uh, if you're on Twitch or YouTube or both subscribe to the man show live, it's a daily Monday through Friday show, uh, having a lot of fun. Uh, we're starting to starting to hit our groove, I think. Uh, so we'll see. And of course, if you are in the St. Petersburg area, again, the information it's a it's one of those Facebook events. The information's there for the theater. Uh, again, it is a four o'clock and a seven o'clock showing of Women Want Everything, starring uh, Rod Grant, Quintari Walker, Christian Anderson. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, and uh, me, Jeff Macalino. Uh, so check that out again, if you're local, otherwise, of course, I will tell you where you can catch it. And, uh, of course I expect a lot of IMDb reviews about the tremendous acting of the guy who played Stuart, who looks a lot like Danny McBride. Um, I'll leave you with this. I was, I was doing narration for a biography, uh, that, uh, is, uh, hopefully close to being, you know, shopped around but i was uh acting as the narrator and a a, a fun freudian slip uh, i was i was reading and the line was uh he went to the local watering hole and i said he went to the local watering whores uh so <laughs> so now if i open a brothel i know the great name of it the 
the local watering whore. Um, and in more family-friendly dad joke material, my daughter, as I was leaving to drive my kids to school, said, I forgot my backpack. So go go back into the driveway, and she gets in the house. I said, how the hell do you forget a backpack? And she said, because you were Russian. And I said, I'm not Russian. I've been Italian my whole life. Boom, it's over. <laughs> Thanks for listening. It was amazing. <laughs> I, I loved it. Be sure to come back for another great episode. I'm one wing away from Jeff Macalino. Of the Jeff Macalino Podcast. How much time did you spend on thinking of the name of your podcast? You went just straight, that's my name. I'll add the word podcast to it. Yup. See you next week.